Hey, Headbangers, this is Rudy Sarzo. You're listening to Ralph on Radio Bypass. Today, Radio Bypass is honored to present a special guest on our show. We have Mr. Rudy Sarzo on the line, bass player from Ozzy Osbourne, Quiet Riot, White Snake, the Guess Who nowadays, Blue Oyster Cult, lots of people Rudy's played with throughout his illustrious and long career. How you doing, Rudy? I am blessed. I am doing, doing terrific. How about yourself? Uh, not bad. We finally, I'm, I'm in the Chicago area and we finally have had some decent weather the last few days. We had a really lousy start to summer, but it's finally uh, a little bit more like LA today. <laughs> well, wonderful. Okay. Good. Yeah, it is good. So Rudy, I know, uh, currently as far as a band that you're playing with regularly, you're playing with the guess who, and I think I heard a story that somehow, how you ended up in the guess who was somehow through sass jordan is that correct yes that is absolutely correct because uh sass is married to the lead singer in uh in the guess who Derek sharp and when they were looking for a bass player uh because uh you know jim kale the original bassist slowly retired you know so it wasn't like he just, you know, decided to, to retire. It's right. like they, you know, he would like say, okay, I, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not going to make this show. So give me a sub and blah, blah, blah. So I started subbing for him. And eventually about a couple of months later, they, uh, he, uh, Jim decided to completely retire. So they asked me if I wanted to become the new bass player. And it, and it was because Sass. And she, you know, she's the one who recommended me to her husband, Derek Sharp. H- had you played with Sass Jordan before? 
Uh, well, we toured when I was playing with the uh, Jeff Tate version of Queenswright. She was playing the part of Sister Mary. So we, we became good friends, you know, on the road. I see. I, I wondered how that connection was made. Because I, I didn't think I ever knew of you to play with her back in the 90s when she was putting out a lot of records or anything. Oh, no. Actually, I did, I did play with her when she re-recorded uh, her latest album. And uh, I played on the whole record as, as, uh, along with her husband, too, and Brent Fitz on drums. And is that a recent release? I, I have not stayed up <laughs> on her career, I have to admit. Yes, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a re-recording of Racine. Okay. It was an album that she did back in, in the 90s, and then she wanted to uh, revisit it. Got it. Got it. Different arrangements, or...? Uh, well, actually, but more stripped down. We're a little bit more modern, more like uh, what's going on today. I see. I'll have to, I'll have to look for that because I, I love some of her stuff that she put out. I don't know why that's one artist I just haven't stayed up with. I'll have to check into that and take a listen to that. Yes, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure I would. And then you've been, in, so the guess who, that's been, what, two years now or so? <clears throat> well, officially... Well, I started subbing about three years ago. So officially now, three years. Got it. And how many, do you do a lot of shows? I, I know the guess who comes through the Chicago area seems like somewhat regularly, but I don't know how heavy of a tour schedule they have. Yeah, we've been skirting the Chicago area. I don't know how close we're going to be to proper Chicago in the near future, but yeah, we do a lot of shows around the area. No, I meant um, in like in a year, you know, how many, is, is the band out on the road quite a bit? Do you do a hundred shows a year? You know, that kind of thing altogether. Not a hundred, <clears throat> but uh, we do uh, about 60 shows a year. Got it. Okay. So a pretty manageable schedule with that band. It sounds like. Oh yeah. And I get to uh, spend a lot of time at home, which is great. And when you are home, um, I believe I, I read, but I don't know a lot about it. But you do so, you do something with video animation? <clears throat> no, I really haven't uh, invested time with video animation in a while now. Um, I got Lasix; it fixed my vision. I could see what I'm playing now, so I devote my my time to playing the bass, being <laughs> a musician. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, speaking of the bass, you have a signature bass out by the uh, company Spectre, and that seems like a really, really cool bass. Um, one of the things that I, I, I thought was interesting about it, I, I read in the specs, and I think you, when I saw you giving a talk at um, Sweetwater for Gear Fest this year, I think you mentioned that the way the pickups are set up or something the way something's set up in the guitar you're able to get like the sound of like 15 different pickups or something <laughs> like that yes yes <clears throat> the uh this my spectra signature model comes with uh a company called sims pickups and you can uh you can switch them to be split pickups single coil or humbugging pickups okay 
And then, and then the lights on that guitar, besides looking cool in the dark, I'm sure, those play a role in telling you where you're at, how you have it set? Correct, yeah. Uh, it's color-coded for each setting. Got it. And, and this was all your design? Well, not the pickups, but the bass itself, yeah. Well, there were some modifications because, uh, you know, a Spectre is such a classic instrument that it, it it doesn't need any redesigning, but there were certain little modifications that we added mm-hmm. and that uh, that makes it more of a signature model. I see. It is a beautiful-looking guitar. Uh, those of you listening, if you haven't seen the Rudy Sarzo Spectre bass, check it out. Go to Spectre's website or your favorite music store's website and take a look at it. It's really a cool-looking machine there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. No problem. And then um, when we were talking about Sass Jordan and how you met her with uh, Jeff Tate, now you did one album with Jeff in 2013 and then one Operation Mind Crime anniversary tour. Yeah. Uh, You know, when I started playing with Jeff, there was actually two versions of Queensryche on the road. That was shortly after their split, right? um, Well, they... They once they split Jeff from the other band members, that's where the two. And I always like to call what we did the Jeff Tate version sure. of Queensryche out of respect to the other members of, of the band. Of course, and uh, but but it was it was not really considered a Jeff Tate band because he he had that on the side. As a matter of fact, that's. He was doing Jeff Tate solo while he was still a member of Queensryche. So uh, once, uh, about two, about a couple of years or more after we had started touring with that version of the band, there, there was a decision by the courts that the other band, band members had the right to the brand. And uh, then it became Operation Mindcrime. But I was not a part of that. Okay, okay. And then the, the one record that you guys did was um, your your brother was involved in there somewhere. Robert Sarzo. Yeah, there, there there was a huge cast of the characters <laughs> on on that record. Yes, okay. including my brother, including myself. Yeah, you know, I play like three songs, and you know, it was it was it was from the very beginning designed to be kind of like a big cast. I see. I see. And then, and then the um, Mind Crime Anniversary Tour with this version, that was you and the band at that time too, right? Yes. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I know um, I, I, with, with everything that happened there with Queensryche, I kind of lost touch of who was doing what exactly, except I did pick up that record that came out in 2013. I thought it was pretty good. So. Um, oh, yeah. Great band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I, I, I knew your name was involved with it. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I met Jeff many years ago, and, and he was very nice to me at the time. I don't know what all happened with him and yeah. his, his buddies. I, but. I, had, I had a great time touring in that band, yes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And then um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, it, back around 1989, um, I was working at a radio station, WVVX, doing a show, and 
played a lot of Chicago area bands, and one of those bands had a demo produced uh, by you. The band was Defcon, and you did a three-song demo at that point. Anyway, at least that's what they sent me at the radio station was the three-song demo, and I think you may have even co-written the songs or arranged them, um, or maybe both. And I was just wondering if you remember that experience and how you came to be involved as a producer for a Chicago-based band. They contacted me. I believe it was their manager that contacted me, and I, I, uh, I had just pretty much finished with my bass tracks for the White Snake's Slip of the Tongue tour, so I had some time available, and so I went up to Chicago and started working with them. I think, I, 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 as I recall, all the songs were already recorded. I mean, the demos are arranged. Right. Maybe, maybe just, you know, I just can't work on some of the arrangements and stuff like that. But the bulk of the music was already canned. You know, they, the, the songs were written. So um, I came in and I worked with a guy in the studio. I produced their, their, uh, their, their three-track tape, cassette. <laughs> Got it. Well, I thought... You it- know, it, it, in those days, the pretty much what you would do is you would use that as a kind of like a uh, a professional demo because record companies just didn't want they not want to hear cheap recordings of songs if they're going to sign a band they want to hear pretty much what the same band is going to sound like on a record. So we went into an actual you know professional studio setting and everything was top of the line pro. Right. Yeah, you did and, that at uh, Chicago we, Recording Company was the uh, studio. My uh, yeah, dear friend exactly. Phil Bonanno, I, I believe, engineered the yeah. sessions. I don't know if he did them while you were there. I don't know if you met Phil Bonanno, um, but great guy. And he, yeah, it, yeah, this is like 30-something uh, years ago. Yes, you know. I so, know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I've done a lot of things since. So, uh, I yeah, all I know is it was a great experience working with the guys, very talented bunch of guys, and you know, we came out with what we felt was a very professional, uh, and I, when I use the word demo, it's because it was to demonstrate to the labels what the band Defcon was capable of in the studio. Right, right. And, and I think you captured it too. I thought it sounded great at the time. I really thought things oh, were yeah. so far great, for those great. guys. Everything, vocals, guitars, songwriting, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I kind of lost touch with most of the guys. The guitar player still plays in a band here in Chicago. The other guys, I'm not sure. The singer and bass player, he was originally from Cleveland, so I don't know if he ended up back there. I kind of lost touch with him. But, um, but yeah, they were, they were a great band. I saw it was pretty cool that you ended up being involved with a Chicago band. Had you, had you done any kind of production before? Were you thinking about being a producer and, and helping young talent like as a regular thing, or was this kind of a one-off thing? Well, no, I've done that. Uh, I continue to do that with the, uh, after that experience, I went, actually I went to Argentina, Buenos Aires, and I worked with the Rock and Espanol band in 1995. And I, after that, I opened up my own record label of, of just rock and Spanish music. Oh, cool. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been involved in, you know, producing, mentoring, you know, doing things like that for you know, for, for, for a while now. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Cause with your talent and background, I'm sure you can give some great advice to, 
musicians just starting out or trying to find their way because this business is harder than ever, I think, in my opinion. Oh, God, yes. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, not that it's ever been easy, and a lot of it's luck and being in the right place at the right time beside the talent, but uh, it seems even harder to find direction nowadays. What do you do? You know, you had the path before. Oh, I got to get an A&R guy out to see our band play or see me play, and that, that, that's the answer. Now, you know, what do you do? You put a video on YouTube and hope for a bunch of hits or what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anybody really knows what the formula is. They just uh, do what they, the best they can do and hope for the best, you know? Right, right, for sure. That is about it, all right. It's kind of sad, though. I miss those days where there, at least there was sort of a path to follow and you kind of knew what to do because I talk to a lot of young bands today and, you know, and they really are not sure. They're like, well, we just you know, we hit the Internet as best we can and social media, and then we're not really sure what to do from there, you know? And I... Sometimes I'm pretty confused too. Um, although there are some record labels that seem to support independent musicians and, and harder rock musicians now, a couple of labels at least, but um, it's still pretty tough. And I know records don't sell like they used to, at least not from these type of rock bands anyway. But um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the music business has been changing ever, ever since it became a business. So. It's just a matter of, of adapting, evolving with it, and just, uh, you know, uh, I got to tell you, when I, when I became a musician, I didn't even know that a business existed. I mean, I knew it existed because I was buying records, right. but it was so far beyond my expectations that all I wanted to do was, was, was play music. And it's still, at the core of it, it's pretty much still the same. Sure. We musicians, we have no choice but to play. Uh, and when I say we musicians, I mean everybody that plays an instrument, not just the professional ones, the people that make a living from it. Right. Talking about everybody. Everybody. We're all musicians. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's what I like, though, about some of the folks, you know, like yourself that have had the chance to make it into the big, big leagues, so to speak, is that, you know, you're still out there doing it and clearly – the one thing is what's the advice that, that musicians like yourself usually give out is don't do it because you want the money or the girls, even though that's nice, but do it because you love to play. You love to create, you love the music. And that's what I like seeing about guys like you and, and others from those old days that did have the big success. They're still out doing it. And it doesn't matter if they're in a small venue or not, or, or a large stadium. It doesn't matter. They're there to play because they have to create and they love to play the music and i think that's really really very cool yeah i mean there's a lot of sacrifices that we do with in, in order to reach a, a, a high level in our craft and you know we have to put a lot of time and a lot of uh money into buying equipment and and you know time away from home and and all of that i mean it's it's really a calling, you know, be becoming a musician. And then if you're going to go to the next level of becoming a professional musician, that is, you know, that's really extending yourself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for the home life. Like you said, when you're, when you're gone from home as much as uh, a musician like that is, I know that's, that's pretty tough. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But then the reason why you have a home <laughs> to come back to is because you're working. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that is true. So, yeah, so you get to appreciate both, you know, both sides of it and, and, uh, and embrace it and just, you know, be, be grateful. Right. Right. Well, that's something that struck me, um, when I watched your, your, your seminar at uh, Sweetwater, I could tell that you, you do do that. You're, you seem like a very humble man that appreciates what you got and, 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 and is, you know, it just takes it and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm humble. I'm happy about this. And, uh, you know, just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. The keep going part is, it's, it's, I, I think as simple as it sounds, it's, it's, there's no substitute for it. You know, music, it's, you know, it's a part of my life. And, and, and it's something that, you know, it's not even, it's, 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 it's a journey. So you, there's no rest stops. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you might not have control about that. Sometimes you get sidelined, but it's not like you're looking and making up your own rest stop. You keep moving as long as you can. And then there's going to be a spot that, that you might have to, you know, go, go to the sidelines because you're in between bands or health issue or whatever. But it's not something that you really set your sight like, uh, okay, I'm going to do this for like three more years and then I'm going to take a break and then pick it up again. No, no, you, you, you don't do that. Right. Yep, you're, you're right about that. All right, so another thing I wanted to ask you, Rudy, before we run out of time, you was it uh, 2017 maybe? Um, you were inducted into the Hall of Heavy Metal History. What was that like for you? Well, I mean, it's always great to be acknowledged. Uh, and um, it was actually the first induction ceremony and to be inducted along with, because I was inducted as a, as a performer myself and also as a member of Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. along with Frankie Benali. And he was also inducted uh, um, you know, by himself too. Nice. And to be inducted with Dio, you know, Ronnie James Dio, Randy Rhodes, uh, Rob Alford from, you know, Judas Priest and, and so many other great musicians and friends, you know, bandmates. Sure. And it, it was a very special occasion. Absolutely. And, and was that two years ago? Was that in 2017 that that took place? 17 or it, it, it took place at NAMM. So it was either, yes, because it was, it was I, I came back this year as a, uh, to introduce Jeff, uh, Jeff Scott Soto to induct him into the hall of fame. So this year, so, uh, 2019. So I skipped a year and it was, yes, it was 2017. Got it. And you mentioned Jeff Scott Soto. You, you played with, uh, Ingve Malmsteen for a while too, right? Well, I did one tour in the U S with him for the attack record. And, um, during that tour, I was called up to, joined Dio, but I could not leave the tour until I, you know, until I finished my commitment to, uh, to, uh, Inve. So as soon as that tour ended with Inve, I, uh, I, I joined Ronnie James Dio yeah, on, in the band Dio. And, uh, so yeah, I have a history with, uh, Inve, a wonderful musician and, and human being. I mean, I, I, I had a blast working with him. That's awesome. Maybe you guys will work together again in the future. Yeah, yeah, you never know. 
Yeah, you, you never know what the future holds. You know, <laughs> never say sure. never. For yeah. sure. And um, speaking of different projects, you also, I don't know if this is an ongoing thing. You, you have a band. I don't know if it's a constant thing or a once in a while thing. There's something called Project Rock that you're involved with. Uh, yeah, I haven't done that in about five years. And it was prep, uh, all, all the shows that I did in that band were in, in Russia. Okay. Okay, so that's yeah. not an ongoing project then at this point. No, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, I guess anytime you put project, the word project into a band, it's not really <laughs> much, it's, it's a project, not a band. It automatically has an expiration date, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I did want to ask you about that because I wasn't clear on what, what that was. Um, and then um, you're also an author. You wrote that Off the Rails book that came out in 2006. And I have to tell you, I, I've read it twice because I really like it. It just seemed like it was just straight from your, well, I guess from your journals, but straight from your heart, too. I love the way that that, that book was written. And um, it, it was kind of nice because obviously, like everybody, I was a huge fan of Randy Rhodes, too, and amazed by by that young man and was devastated when, uh, when we lost him. That was, that was a very sad day when I heard that news come over the radio, but, um, I love the way your recollections and everything were, were in that book. It didn't seem like it was embellished. It seems like it was, Oh, here's what I wrote in my journal. Here you go guys. You know? And I thought that was, I, I really liked the way you wrote that book. I thought, well, it was actually, really cool. the, yeah, the journals was pretty much, to, uh, it, they were, they were tax, uh, ledgers. So, because when I when I joined Ozzy, I was the first time that I was actually making some mo- decent money. Right. And so I, I I called up my family's accountant and I asked him, you know, what what, what should I do now? And he says, Well, keep a um, keep a journal of your expenses and your receipts, and then at the end of the year, just you just you know put that for your taxes. Right. So basically, that was that that was the reason why, why I wrote all that, which I'm glad because. You know, even though we w- we would get at every leg of the tour a a tour book, a lot of the a lot of the shows were were rescheduled or canceled or you know postponed or whatever. Sure. So I actually had the 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 the, the updated information. Well, it makes because sense I, anyway. I, I, yeah, I, I I I wrote everything. So because I I'm I'm, I'm cross referencing my tour books. As I was writing the book, and I'm going, wait a minute. The tour book says this date, and my journal says it actually. This is what happened that day because the, the show got rescheduled for whatever, right. you know. So I, but as far as me, it was not a diary, like uh, you know, like uh, like some high school girl would sit down and write a diary, dear diary, blah blah <laughs> blah blah. This happened today. No, it, it had nothing to do with that. It was just particular information. Right, pertaining to my expenses and where it was, and you know how far the drive was, and things like that. You know, well, if that's the case, then you've got a really good memory, then, because you obviously detailed yes, in that book all the different places well, you guys visited and your your tour <coughs> rituals yeah, of we, sightseeing and yeah. Well, because you know it was my first experience at that level. I had I went from playing in, in bar bands to you know being in that band. Sure. And so that's going to happen. You know, it was like going from black and white to te- Technicolor. <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz. That's a it good was like way life, to put it. life was black and white. Then all of a sudden, it's all bright Technicolor, you know. <laughs> so, 
so you're going to remember that, <laughs> you know, every day you, you, you're going to, you know, you wake up, you pinch yourself that, that you're there, you know, right. right. Doing this. Yeah. That's funny. I, I, I like that description. That's that I, I like, I'll remember that. That was good. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, that was obviously your first, uh, large experience, big time experience, but, um, quiet riot in 83, when that metal health album came out, I mean, that had to be even more explosive and even more, you need to pinch yourself. I mean, <coughs> that record, the way it took off, um, I, if I remember correctly, it, 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 it knocked Michael Jackson even out of the number one spot with thriller. Um, and you know, you could not go anywhere without hearing, come on, feel the noise. So that had to be a pretty remarkable experience for you too. Yeah, it was. It it was it was different. It was because when I joined Ozzy, uh, we were in the middle. We were not an opening band. We were not a headlining arena act yet. Ozzy had come from uh, from Black Sabbath, and he was establishing his career as a solo artist. Right. So we were kind of like in the middle. We were playing theaters, no clubs, theaters, and sometimes we'll play a festival here and there. And uh, but when I joined, rejoined Choir Riot, or you know, joined the new version of the band, right? Yeah, we were at the bottom. We were driving ourselves in station wagons, and then RVs, and then we had a a a a uh, you know low level tour bus. So it was a gradual, a gradual, uh, Growth. you know, ride to the top. It just didn't all of a sudden overnight did it, you know? Right. Right. When, when you recorded Metal Health or when you listened to the playback of it, as I'm sure you probably did, I think everybody did back then, you got to listen to the playback. Did you, did you really, did, did you have any thought that it would be such a huge record? Well, I went in to record originally uh, one song for the album, uh, Thunderbird. I was still a member of Ozzy. Okay. And uh, I did it during a break. And that same week after I finished, let's say, I went on. I, I went in the studio with Quiet Riot, recorded Thunderbird as a tribute to Randy because uh, Kevin Dubrow wrote that song for Randy after Randy uh, left Quiet Riot to join Ozzy. Right. So I had been playing that song on and off with Kevin in his own band, Dubrow, which I used to play with when I was staying with him. Because mm-hmm. I was living with Kevin before I joined Ozzy, and, and sleeping uh, on his left, floor. <laughs> yeah, correct. And once I uh, went on the road with uh, with Ozzy, of course, I was you know I wasn't playing that song anymore. But I I went in and I recorded that song one or two takes, and then we had like three hours left to record something else. And so they asked me that do you remember such and such song like Slick Black Cadillac where we used to play that song in Choir Riot with Randy Rhodes. Mm-hmm. So we tracked that and then a couple of the songs. So by the time I left that session, I had recorded four or five songs for the album. Then then I went back on the road with Ozzy and started working on what's called Speak of the Devil, you know, the, the Black Sabbath re-recordings. Right. That we did at the Ritz in New York. And, uh, and, and somewhere in between that, Chuck Wright came in and recorded uh, Metal Health and The Wanna Let You Go. So he's he's the bass player on those two songs on the record. Mm-hmm. And it's all in, in, in the credits of, of, of the album. You know, I mean, nowadays, you know, unless unless you get your your 
your father's uh, copy of, of the vinyl record, you know, <laughs> out of storage, you're not going to find that in the stores, you know? So that information, it's a little bit cloudy, but, but that's, right. that's what happened. I even wrote, mentioned it in, in, in the book. And uh, so once I left Ozzy officially, after I recorded Speak of the Devil, the Black Sabbath re-recordings, I, uh, then I went back in and recorded the rest of the album. And then did you get to hear a playback of the whole thing? Yeah, of course. And, yeah. And yeah, I know. But, but we didn't know, you know, and listen, when you make a record, whether it sells one copy or, or one million, you're just doing, doing, doing the best you can. Okay. You're so- just doing the best you can. You have no clue what is, what, how much it's going to sell. I mean, there's people in record companies that that's their expertise. Right. They'll hear something and they go, and it, it usually comes down to two elements. If it's, if it's at the very beginning of a new trend, is how much that band fits the new style of music. And if it's in the middle of a trend, it's how much this band fits the mold of what everybody else is doing. Because it's, it, back in the day, it was all about playlist. Being able to fit your music in the same playlist along with other bands of your genre. Right. So, and it came down to like the, the, uh, the, the song itself, the production of the song, even the tempo of the song <laughs> had a lot to do with it. I mean, if you listen to disco radio station, it's the same 120 beat. Right. That's it. That's disco. Yep. That's true. Yep. It's true. So I mean, so uh, so uh, all, all a lot of those elements are they're being thought at while the record is being put together mm-hmm. by by marketing, uh, the artist relation individual, the producer, the executive producer, the co-producer, the you know, and it's up to the artist just to deliver. Sure, deliver music, not to sit there and figure out. Oh my God! Well. Uh, this song, you know, we need a song like, like whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah I so know what you it, mean. It can become a single. You know, the record company will come and say, I don't hear a single. And then you go to them, what do you mean you don't hear a single? How about this song and that song? And they go, no, I don't hear a single. Which <laughs> actually really means I cannot take any of the songs that you guys are recording and put it on the radio with the rest of the songs in the charts. That's all it comes down to. <laughs> You know, which is, I don't hear a single, was it, that's what it really means, you know? Right. And because you're too busy in the studio, you don't even know what, 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 you don't even put the radio on because you're hyper-focused sure. in creating your own music. Right. So you're not aware of the charge, you know, you, you don't care, you're not aware of it, you just, you're just doing, doing your thing. Meanwhile, back at the record company, record company people are surrounded by music, looking at the charts, seeing, seeing what's, what's, what's selling, seeing what, what's failing, what's succeeding and so on. That's, that's their, that's, that, that's their vantage point sure. as far as where your record fits in, 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 in the big picture. So what happens is if that, if that, if they don't think that they have a song that they can put on the radio, what they do is, They'll bring a they'll bring in a songwriter 
an outside songwriter who who happens to have a song on the radio to work with you. Right. To give you that that I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call it a sound because it's not about a sound. It's about a format. It's yeah. a formula. It's a formula. These guys, know, it's a formula. They know they they are songwriters by craft. That's what they do. They craft songs. And if they happen to be hit songwriters at the moment, they are the guys that you want to call. And after a while, what happens is you're going to have a playlist of songs being written by the same people, performed by different artists, and it all starts sounding the same. <laughs> well, that's the problem. The, the heart and soul is gone. You know what? The, yeah, exactly. The, the music that sounds the most special, at least to my ears, is the stuff that the musicians themselves created, you know, not that Diane Warren hasn't written great songs. And when Aerosmith did, I don't want to miss a thing. I mean, they did a beautiful version of it, but it's not the same. It's not from their heart and soul, you know? Yeah. I mean, but which one would you rather listen to dream on or, or I don't want to miss a thing. Well, I mean, with all due respect to the wonderful songwriter that Diane Warren is. Yeah. Obviously for, yeah. it's all about dream on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's what I noticed a lot, especially in the later 80s, about the time that your White Snake record that you were on came out. You know, that did seem to be the formula. It was the same few songwriters you'd see on just about everybody's record. There was at least one or two songs on almost everyone's release, 87, 88, 89, in that ballpark, that you'd see the same songwriters listed on just about everybody's record. Yeah, yeah but, you know, I guess, I, 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 you know, as far as White Snake goes, I mean, David and whoever else in the band co-wrote those songs. There was not outside writer. Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't mean Whitesnake themselves had that scenario. I'm just saying in 87 is when Slip of the Tongue came out around that time on a lot. Not, I didn't mean Whitesnake yeah. specifically, but a lot of albums that came out around that time, 87, yeah. 88, and 89, you would see the same songwriters on at least one or two tracks on many different bands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, there was actually in the '87 record, the one with "Still the Night" and "Here I Go Again." That came out in '87, and then "Slip of the Tongue." Oh, that was '89, that I, wasn't it? "Slip of the Tongue." In '90, '90, oh, yeah, 90. it came out okay. in in some territory. Ter I mean, we started the tour in '90 for that record, and it might have been you might have been some like pre-release songs on the radio late '89, but the official. Yeah, the uh, the official tour kicking it off was that was ninety. Was ninety okay? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. as time goes by, my memory's not as sharp as Rudy Sarzo's. I I, I forget certain things, but that no, because I only know I know things pertaining to what I did. <laughs> <laughs> All the things that I know, you know, I'm not I'm not sure about. Yeah. But that record, though, that is the one that had the song Judgment Day on it, right? Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, because that's one of my. I mean, I love White Snake. All, all through, you know, even the early version of White Snake, but, but that song, Judgment Day, probably one of my all-time favorite White Snake songs. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun recording that that, that record. Yeah, and and that was some too. How did you end up in White Snake? How how did that come to be? Oh, White Snake was the opening band for Choir Riot in 1984. That that's how I got to meet David. Gotcha. So years later, hey, I need a bass player. I'm calling Rudy. No, actually. Uh, Right after I left Quiet Riot in 85, they called me up to join the band. But since we were on tour, we have been on tour together. I had seen the uh, the friction among David, between David and and basically John Sykes. 
And I didn't want to leave one situation to join another situation that could be volatile. So I just passed on the on the whole thing. Got it. But yeah. then, but then I, you know, later on, like two years later, John had John Sykes had moved on to other things. So, uh, so it was a whole different, uh, uh, you know, different vibe, different dynamics in the band. Yes, right. Yeah, well, that was a great lineup, I thought. And, of course, you can't go wrong with Tommy Aldridge. That was kind of cool, too. You know, you two playing with Ozzy and then you two and White Snake. That was kind of neat. Yeah, and I don't know if you know this, but I was actually putting a band together with Tommy all that time. Yeah, wasn't that with Tony McAlpine also? Yes, yes. We did a record, and then we carried on trying to put another band together when when we got the call to do uh the white snake video still of the night and then then and then we joined the band i see gotcha so you and tommy stayed together pretty much from ozzy on then it sounds like well no uh i i left ozzy he kept playing with ozzy i joined oh that's right quiet riot we joined quiet riot and then in 85 we we got back together again and now Quiet Riot, I see, I know they've got a new record coming out later this year, but you're not part of the current version of Quiet no, Riot. No, I haven't been part, I haven't been a member of Quiet Riot in 16 years. Got it. Ch- Chuck Wright, though, is, mean, uh, the but, bass player? Yes, yes, he has. But I'm a huge supporter of what they do, and I've heard the record, Frank, Frankie uh, played it for me, it sounds amazing. Great. Some of the best drum sound and drumming that, that he's ever done, yeah. Good. I'm looking forward to hearing that one. And then I, yeah, and then that's, you know, you say Frankie played it for you. You know, obviously you keep your friendships. You sound like me because uh, I know with Randy's mom, you stayed in touch with her right up until she left this earth, didn't you? <coughs> yes, and I'm still in touch with the uh, with Randy's uh, siblings, yeah. Kelly and Kathy. That's fantastic that you are that type of person, that you keep those relationships going. That's pretty cool. Well, they're very important people in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, such a shame about Randy, but yeah, I don't want to dwell on that and make it sad. So listen, I know we're already uh, pushing overtime here from what you and I had talked about. So what's next for Rudy Sarzo? What do you got going on right now? Well, I continue uh, with the, uh, the Guess Who touring and, uh, you know, and just, just, there's a lot of great things coming down. So uh, I'm just enjoying life. That's good. And you recently celebrated a wedding anniversary, right? Yeah, 35 years, yes. So that's pretty good, especially in this business. 35 years is quite a record, I would think. So happy anniversary, believe it. Thank you. I think in any business, you know, it's, uh, yeah. That's true. I'm I'm going uh, on a quarter century, 25 years with my wife. And, um, and, you know, and... It hasn't always been perfect, I suppose, but we always uh, we always support one another, and it's, I'm sure that's how you and your wife are as well. Absolutely, yeah. She's been with me through all the ups and downs and sideways and and back and forths and everything, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good to have a good woman in your corner, for sure. Absolutely, yes. All right, Rudy. Well, I do not want to keep you longer because we're already beyond what we had talked about so thank you so much for joining us on radio bypass today i can't tell you how much i appreciate it i've been a fan of yours ever since i first saw you with ozzy in my case it was at the aragon ballroom in uh, chicago with motorhead opening <laughs> that was quite uh, a night. yeah um, unforgettable evening yes 
Yeah, it was hot as could be in that place. I don't know how you guys stood yes, it on it stage because I was dying out in the audience. <laughs> yes, it was. It was wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Rudy. And um, thank you we'll, so much. We'll keep touch. Uh, keep keep. Uh, I'll keep apprised of your goings on here, and I'll make sure people know what Rudy Sarzo is up to. And like I said, folks, if you haven't looked at the signature guitar, especially if you're a bass player, and I know. From emails I get, a lot of you guys that listen to this podcast are bass players. Make sure you check out Rudy's signature guitar by Spectre. All right, thanks again, Rudy. You have a great rest of the evening. Thank you so much. God bless you. Bye-bye.